we get into this. So today we're going to be, we'll have one more session on Jesus' journey towards our justification, which of course will be next week during Easter, but it's the path to the resurrection, which is really what every single thing is about this morning. You see, if there's no resurrection, every single one of us would still be in our sins, no hope for eternity, but folks, there is a a resurrection of Christ, which we'll go into more detail next week. Over the last four or five weeks, we've gone through, as again, we've talked about the Passion Week of Christ. We're going to pull all of that together this morning as the cantata so beautifully done. It literally took every single piece from, if you will, the triumphal entry that happens, uh, happened technically, we would call this Palm Sunday, which uh, starts the week going leading up to, of course, the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. So this morning we'll be looking at Jesus' journey to his crucifixion. If you have your Bibles, go to Isaiah chapter 53. I'm going to read the whole chapter. It's short, and then we'll dissect it and go through exactly what God's talking about. Isaiah 53, and starting at verse 1. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, speaking of Christ, shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. Now remember, as we're going through this, this is all speaking about one person 700 years before it occurred all looking at the the prophetic picture of what Jesus would do. Verse 4, Surely he, Christ, has mourned our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he, Jesus, was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. He, Jesus, was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he, Jesus, opened on his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened on his mouth. He, Jesus, was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he, Jesus, was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people. He was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He, Jesus, has put him to grief. Speaking of God the Father. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he, Jesus, shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. For he, Jesus, shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he, Jesus, poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he, Jesus, bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Father, we thank you now for 
this wonderful music that we just heard. Thank you for the talent and the uh, professionalism with which it was just delivered. And thank you for the heart much more with which it was delivered. Now, Father, I pray that as we pull all these things together that we heard this morning, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. Father, help us not to walk out of here the same way we walked in. But, Father, not only that we might understand and uh, uh, become closer to the truth of what we heard, but, Father, might it move inside each and every one of us, draw us closer to you in a real relationship with Christ this morning. So, Father, we commit this time to you. I pray that you'd uh, move in the hearts of your people. And, Father, if there's anyone here this morning that's never placed their faith and trust in Christ, they don't know for sure if they died that they go to heaven. Might they find Jesus before we leave here this morning? So, Father, do what only you can do. We ask for your blessing now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1 again says, Who has believed our report? So what's taking place here? Again, 700 years before this, these events actually took place is when Isaiah is prophesied, prophesying. And he's coming up and he's telling about things that are literally going to happen 700 years in the future. Now, the, the neat thing for us is we all know, if you will, the account of what happened. It happened 2,000 years ago, 2,700 years ago, and Isaiah was bringing this forward this prophecy that God had given to him. The issue here is who's believed our report? In other words, what they're saying is uh, when Christ came, when he preached the gospel, when his disciples preached the gospel, it was not very well received. In fact, the Jewish people, which is the main group being written to at this time, back 700 again B.C., the Jewish people, did they receive the Messiah? Did they receive Jesus Christ as the Messiah? And the answer is what? No, absolutely not. And God is bringing out, and again, it's, it's just miraculous, uh, and of course, divinely inspired by God. Every single word, by the way, in the scriptures is given by direct inspiration of God. It's God-breathed. So when we open up the word of God and we read it and we look at these prophecies and see how God fulfilled them, it just validates that this indeed is God's word. But he says, who's believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? People were rejecting it. They didn't understand it. They didn't come to it. And now we're talking again, the pronouns except in a couple of cases in here all refer to the Lord Jesus Christ. He, Jesus, shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Now, this is very interesting. Again, and I think I talked about about a week ago, there's, there's this very, very wrong uh, uh, anal analogy of Christ looking at him as some beautiful person, a big, giant, strong guy that uh, people will just be attracted to. And, uh, I, I under, and I've said it before, people want Jesus to be looked at as this powerful, very attractive individual. That's not the case at all, according to Scripture. Jesus didn't come in and try and gain the attention of people by flexing his muscles, if you will. The Bible makes it very clear. He came in humility. 
He didn't come in a strong persona. He didn't come in, even though he was a strong personality, as we'll see uh, a little bit later in the message this morning. Yes, he took a stand on things. Yes, he stood for uh, the truth of God. But it wasn't through, if you will, a beautiful face and a big, strong body. That was not the case here. You look at this, and again, it says, For he shall grow up uh, like a tender plant as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. However, when we go back to what we call today Palm Sunday, we look at the triumphal entry of Christ. Now, if you've been with us the last several weeks, you're going to get some review as we get to the uh, uh, crucifixion this morning. So Jesus comes in. He's, uh, 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 people have heard about Christ. They are, they're excited about it. And all of a sudden, Jesus is going to be coming uh, into the main city of Jerusalem, where the Jewish temple was. It's a wonderful time. It's an exciting time. People are watching Jesus come in. Uh, when a king would come in, what the, the culture of the day was, they would take off uh, uh, their shawls and things, throw them on the floor uh, or the, the ground where the king would come through. They'd cut down palm branches and throw them on uh, the street because the king was given this wonderful triumphal entry. And that's exactly what Jesus did, if you will, uh, several days. Uh, we believe it probably was on a Sunday, makes sense chronologically, that Jesus comes into Jerusalem, but he's being celebrated as a king. Everything is looking good for Jesus that first day, if you will, when he walks into Jerusalem, actually rode on, on the donkey and then goes into the temple. But things dramatically changed. How all of a sudden could this one Jesus, who is literally being proclaimed as a wonderful the, uh, potential king that will uh, uh, take the Jews out of the Roman tyranny that they've been facing, and everything's looking good. And then all of a sudden, in less than 24 hours, everything takes a dramatic turn. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3. He is despised and rejected by men. Now, wait a second. The first couple verses talk about him coming in. There's nothing, uh, if you will, beautiful about him. He's an average person. But when we go to the gospel narrative, we find out of this great triumphal entry. And now in a matter of just a verse, we go from him being the exalted one, if you will, to all of a sudden being the despised one. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Again, for those that have been here, why all of a sudden did this king of kings, this one that they're celebrating, all of a sudden everything turns against Christ in Jerusalem? Well, it's pretty simple. What Jesus did, first thing he does, he goes into the big, giant, beautiful Jewish temple. And he's looking around and he's seeing things that should not be in God's house. And the Bible makes it very clear that uh, there were money changers there. People were coming from all over the known world at that time. It was Passover. Passover, of course, was a feast that uh, the Jewish people keep every year. 
Tonight, if you'll be here for communion, we will go through a little bit of the Passover history and how the Lord's Supper actually morphed from that concept. But here comes Jesus. He walks into the temple. He sees the money changers. Uh, The people have come to buy their sacrifices and to pay the temple taxes and so forth. And uh, uh, they had a different coinage. And, And the people that were around there basically were bilking the people. They were charging people with interest. They were giving them a bad exchange rate. And Christ was like, this is not supposed to be a place for a den of thieves. It's supposed to be a house of prayer. So Jesus comes in and all of a sudden starts overturning the tables. Basically, and and again, uh, if you want to talk about, no, Jesus was not a wimpy individual. He was not uh, meant to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger, but he, he took a stand. He's like, this is God's house. This is not what it's meant to be. So he starts overturning the tables. Now, if you'll remember, those that have been here, there's a certain individual who is in charge of setting up all the things inside the temple basically to make money for the for the uh, priesthood if you will the high priest and uh, the many priests that were there his name was Annas we're going to see as we progress that that person is actually going to get a chance to put Jesus in a false trial in a few moments but remember that because every single thing that we're going to see now is leading up to why Jesus was crucified at least from, if you will, a human standpoint. There's a much more important reason as we go through this and we watch as Jesus literally upsets the religious leaders. That was just almost inconsequential. Do you know why Jesus died? It's not because he made the religious leaders mad. That was a part of how he ended up on the cross. It's not because he made the Romans mad, even though that helped to get him to the cross. Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save those who are lost, Luke 19.10. Jesus knew 700 years before he would go to the cross that he would go to the cross. The things that we're seeing here are simply the methodology, if you will, that God allowed to be used to get him to that cross. You see, ever since uh, we go back to Genesis chapter 3, man was created in Genesis 1 and 2. Eve was created. The family begins, an institution created by God. We get to Genesis chapter 3, and sin enters in the world when Satan rebels against God, tempts Adam and Eve. They eat of the forbidden fruit, and sin enters into the world with the unfortunate result of that being physical, and spiritual death. Two deaths. We'll get to that in a moment. So Jesus comes in, uh, the one that was on uh, the donkey, the one that came in uh, being given accolades. The next thing we know, he's in trouble with the leadership. He's in major trouble with the Jewish religious leaders. They question him. They give him a hard time. Jesus is basically coming on as one who is alleging to be, in their minds, the Messiah. And, of course, he is the Messiah, but he wasn't accepted as such. So as we move on in our text, what do we find? There we go. Again, surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Smitten by God, isn't that an interesting statement? You look at Jesus 
and you look at what he goes through, and you look at his crucifixion, and you look at the horrible things that he went through, and all of a sudden we look at this concept that he was smitten by God. It will expand on that in a few moments. Let's go to the next one. Verse 6. All we... Now, folks, this was specifically written to the Jewish people, but it definitely applies now 2,700 years later to each and every one of us. All we like what? Sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. I've used this uh, little illustration many times here, but there's a particular restaurant chain called Burger King, and I'm all for Burger King, so this isn't a slam on Burger King. But their big motto was, have it what? Have it your way. And folks, that's exactly what all of us want. We want to have it our way. Whatever you want, eh, not so important. What I want, that's what's important. And that's what God's pointing out here. He's like, we're, we're just like a, a, a sheep. And by the way, sheep are not known to be the brightest animals on the planet. And God, and, and you say, well, pastor, are you looking down on people? No, I'm, I'm part of the sheep folk. Uh, I'm a sheep just as much as you are. And God says, listen, uh, 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 we're, we're like sheep. All of a sudden, you know, ba ba ba, and we go wandering off somewhere. And uh, the good shepherd says, remember Psalm 23, he, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. And uh, he carries that staff with a little hook on it. He says, hey, 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 Rich, uh, uh, come on back here. And I'm like, ba 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 ba, And he takes that, that staff and he puts it around our neck and tries to pull us back in. And he's saying, all we like sheep have gone astray. What does he mean by that? We are tempted by sin. Things that allure us. We see things. We hear things. And, and it's like instead of following on the straight and narrow path and doing what God wants us to, we just like a, a sheep just keep walking away. Well, you come up to the edge of the cliff sometimes, right? And you're right on the edge, and you're like, Pastor, are you going to fall off the stage? I don't know. We'll find out. <laughs> and, and you're right there on the edge, and it's like, uh, 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 if I take one more step, I'm going down. And Jesus said, listen, we're just like a sheep that goes astray, and he takes that staff, and he tries to pull us back so that we'll obey and honor him and come to him. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord laid on Jesus, him, the iniquity of us all. This is 2,700 years before the fact, the most detailed gospel presentation given in Scripture. God makes it very clear that every single one of us is a sinner. There's no hope for us. We're, we're like silly sheep that just go wandering off. We do our own thing. We want to do our own thing. And God says, i got to pull you back in. We're, we go astray. We turn to our own way. And God says this. This is the key part of the gospel here. The Lord, what did he do? Speaking of God the Father now, the Lord has laid on Jesus, on him, the iniquity of us all. Why did Jesus go to that cross? Why did he do it? Because God said he laid on Jesus all of our sins, all of our iniquities, all of our transgressions, bam, they were placed upon him. And that's exactly what he's saying here. You see, there's not a single one of us, whether you've been here for your entire life or you're a first-time visitor, this is so important. 
Not a single one of us can earn our way to heaven. There's not a single one good enough. You can not earn a place in heaven. You say, well, if that's the case, how do you get there? Well, this starts out, if you will, the gospel message. Uh, let's take our Bibles. I didn't have it on the screen. Let's go to Romans chapter 3 for a moment. New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. And if you don't have a Bible, we'll read it in just a moment. But let's go to Romans chapter 3, and we're going to start at verse 10. This is a description of how God sees each and every one of us. Going down to verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is no one who understands, there is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside, they have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. You say, oh, Brother Rich, wait a minute, I'm a good person, I try to do my best, I try to help people, and God says your righteousness is no good. All the good that you try to do, God looks at and says, nope, it doesn't register with him. He doesn't really, and this sounds harsh, but he doesn't care about it. We'll tell you why in a moment. Verse 13, their, their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of ass was under their tongues, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And he sums it all up. Go down to verse 23. Verse 23, Romans chapter 3, for all, every single person have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's exactly what was spoken about 700 years before uh, the count of given in Romans that everyone is a sinner. Well, what happens next? Well, we know, and it was sung about very beautifully this morning, Jesus is in Jerusalem. It's a few days later. The, the priests are mad at him. The people are mad at him. Uh, Jesus is causing an uproar because he's calling people to accountability. He's saying, listen, you've made my house a den of thieves. Pharisees, Sadducees, religious leaders said instead of telling the gospel like you should, instead of uh, seeing the Messiah as you should, you're basically a bunch of religious phonies. That's exactly what he's saying. That didn't go over real well. So Jesus is confronted, if you will, by the religious leaders, and finally Judas, as we know, one of the 12 disciples, one of the closest friends of Jesus, betrays him. How much money did they pay Judas to betray the Lord? 30 pieces of silver, the price of a common slave. He betrays the king of kings and the Lord of lords for. But again, it had to happen in this progression. Isaiah 53, verse 9, he, Jesus, was oppressed. He was afflicted, yet he opened on his mouth. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about six illegal hearings and trials that Jesus Christ went through. The first one that he went to was called Annas, the same individual that set up that temple, which Jesus had a fit about. So he wasn't in real good stead with this guy, and he was related to Caiaphas, the high priest. So he ends up going to Annas, then he goes to Caiaphas, then they go to the Jerusalem council, known as the Sanhedrin. The Jewish people at that time had no authority to put anybody to death, but they wanted Jesus killed. So what did they do? The Sanhedrin council said, hey, 
We've got to get him to Pilate. We've got to get him to the Roman government because they're the only ones that can sentence Jesus to death. And they wanted him dead really bad. So they get up uh, uh, very, very early. They drag him out to uh, uh, Pilate's praetorium, if you will, and the trials start. The illegal trials at illegal times all are taking place, and we went through that a few weeks ago. They determine, Pilate said, I find no guilt in him. Get rid of him. And the people kept screaming out, no, he's guilty. Uh, he's uh, guilty of sedition. He's, he's, he's not part of our, our Roman government. He's going against you, Pilate. And all of a sudden, Pilate had a brainstorm, and he said, hey, uh, where's he from? Galilee. Ah, Herod. Herod's in town from Galilee, up from up north. He should be tried by Herod, not me. So he, he calls up Herod. Herod says, sure, bring him over. I'd like to see some of his miracles and things. Jesus shows up at Herod's place. And uh, basically, you know what Jesus did? He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened on his mouth. And Herod said, enough, get this guy out of here. I want nothing to do with him. Send him back to Pilate. He's done nothing worthy of death. Don't want anything to do with him. Well, Pilate come, they bring Jesus back the sixth time now, sixth illegal trial. And Pilate hears him one more time. Jesus, or, uh, Pilate walks out, gets a bowl of water, says, listen, folks, He's done nothing wrong. I want nothing to do with this. And the people yell out, crucify him, crucify him. And he's like, no, I want nothing to do with this. And they keep screaming, they keep yelling. And they said, listen, Pilate, you're no friend of Caesar's unless you kill this guy. He's like, uh-oh, now my job's on the line. My head's on the line. All right, you do what you need to do. So uh, Pilate authorizes the Jewish people basically get their, uh, uh, their win, if you will, and the Romans, though, had to crucify him because the Jewish people couldn't kill, kill anyone. It was against the law to do that. So the Roman soldiers take Jesus, and they lead him away. Jesus stands before Pilate. He, he swears up and down, I find no guilt in him. Uh, this be on you. And the people said, yeah, let the blood be on us and our children. Not a smart thing to say, but they did. And that's exactly what took place. Verse 9, Jesus was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison. <laughs> he was locked up from judgment, and who will declare his generation? And then what does it say? It said he was what? He was cut off from the living. Now, folks, this is absolutely essential here when it comes to the gospel message. He was cut off from the living. 700 years before Jesus came, the Bible made it very clear exactly the progression. Now, if you're here this morning and you're like, you know, is that Bible true? Is it really true? Is it really accurate? Is there any doubt? Wednesday nights, we have what's called Prophecy Focus Global Update. We go into the current events that are lining up for things that will be fulfilled in Bible prophecy. We make it very clear that in the Scriptures, there are 1,000 prophecies that were given when the Bible was written. 500 or 50% of all those prophecies have come to pass exactly as written, including these. Folks, there's no other book on earth that can claim that. No other book, no other religious book. Folks, the, the Bible is absolute, undeniable. For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people. For our sin he was stricken. Jesus goes to the cross 
to pay for our sin, to pay for my sin, to pay for your sin. Now, folks, I asked the question at the beginning or made the statement at the beginning of our message today. Why would God go through this? Why would Jesus literally, God himself, he's part of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, why would the member of the Godhead leave heaven's glory and come down and go to a horrible death on a cross? And you know what the answer is? Because he loves you. Because he loves you, every single one of you. God loves you. Y'all know the verse, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, that's each one of us, that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whosoever, anyone who would believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's God's promise for you. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Saved from what? Saved from sin. Safe from the penalty of sin. Verse, verse 9. And they made his grave with the wicked. When he was on the cross, who were the individuals on either side? Were they good folks? Ah, they were wicked. Robbers, murderers, and so forth. But he made his, it says, but at a, at, with the rich at his death. When Jesus died, where did they take his body? Joseph of Arimathea, rich Jewish individuals said, hey, can I have the body of Jesus? They put it in a tomb. He was buried in a rich man's tomb. 700 years before the fact happened, Isaiah talked about it. So something like this, tomb of old time, where they would carve out the stone. They'd have a big stone that they would put over it, similar to what you see right here. And his grave was made, if you will, with the rich at his death, fulfilling prophecy exactly as stated. Verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Just pause there for a moment. It pleased God the Father to bruise his son. Think about, think about that. Now, many of you are parents. Many of you, if you don't uh, have children, or uh, uh, you can think about this, about your own earthly father. And all of a sudden, Dad says, you need to go through this really, really tough time, son. And God looks down, and, and he looked at Jesus. And, of course, this was agreed in eternity past that Jesus knew, of course, based on God's foreknowledge, that there would only be one way to pay for our sin. And the Father said, son, this is exactly what's got to happen. You have to suffer so that all the folks that are going to be created over history can come to heaven. If you don't suffer, if you don't go through this, there's no way that my justice can be satisfied. So Jesus, of course, willingly goes to the cross. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. God could not be judiciously, judicially satisfied unless his son paid the price. And here's what we do as human beings. We're getting to a close. Human beings want to do everything in their own way, just like what? 
sheep. Here's how I believe I should get to heaven. I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to try and treat people good. And it's all about what I do. And God looks at every single one of us and says, I don't care what you do. You say, what do you mean by that? You see, because when his son paid the entire sacrifice, the entire penalty for your sin, God is not interested in how good we are or how good we think we are. And God says there's only one way that you can get into my heaven. The only way that I can be satisfied is by what my servant Jesus Christ did for you. There's no other way. There's no other way. What else does he say? Verse 12, Therefore I'll divide him, Jesus, a portion with the great. He shall divide the spoil with the strong. We're looking now forward to something that hasn't happened yet. This is another thing that was prophesied 2,700 years ago. Jesus Christ will come back as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. All you got to do is understand the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 19, starting at verse 11 through 21, it talks about Jesus mounting up on a white horse in heaven. You say, do you honestly believe he's got a white horse in heaven? The Bible says it's got to be true. So he's going to pop on a white horse along with all of his saints. He's going to come back to this earth. There'll be a tremendous time of judgment, and then he will inaugurate his 1,000-year millennial kingdom right here on earth in Jerusalem. Revelation 20, verses 1 through 7. It's coming. Spoken about over 2,700 years ago. That's what's coming. So what's coming for you as we close? The majority of folks here, you know what's known as the gospel, the way to, the way to heaven. And we're just very quickly, especially for those maybe that uh, are new to the church or here for the first time, let's review what the true gospel is. Not what man made up, not what some church made up, not what liturgy made up, not what's written in the back of a hymnal somewhere, but what does the Word of God say and document about the only way to get to heaven? Well, there's four key things we need to know. Romans 3.23, we read it before, for all have what? Sin. We've all sinned. You can't get away from it. For all have sinned, we've all done wrong. We're all born as sinners, by the way. Why? Because of Adam's sin. When Adam sinned, God made it very clear that sin is transferred through the Father. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Wherefore is by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, and death, physical death by sin, and spiritual death by sin. I told you we get back to spiritual death in a moment. And so death passed upon every single person because of all sin. How? If you've got a physical father, which every single one of you do, the sin nature was passed through Adam, through every single father, up to and including you. The unfortunate thing, the Bible says, Romans 6.23, that the wages of our sin is what? Death. Physical death. Every single one of us will one day die. It's coming. Now, for the Christian people, they understand an event called the rapture, but we're not going to talk about that right, right now. We're talking about every single person. Any single person, definitely without Christ, will physically die. But, he says, I got a free gift for you this morning. This morning, when uh, I handed out, had uh, the guys hand out the books, it was a free gift. Didn't pay a thing for it. We handed out some mugs, some books, some things. No, they didn't pay a dime for it. Don't want you to pay a dime for it. And uh, uh, it's a free gift. And God says it's the same thing that salvation is. It's a free gift from Jesus Christ. Well, here's the thing about the second death very quickly. 
The Bible talks about, and he goes through a bunch of, if you will, big sins, and then he says, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Say there's two deaths. Number one, when you die physically, and I keep pointing down here because here's where the casket usually lies. The person is gone. All that remains is that body. But where did they go? The Bible says they can go to one of two places. At death, every single believer that's put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, says, absent from the body and present with the Lord immediately. Folks, if you're a Christian, you've placed your faith and trust in Christ, you close your eyes for the last time, take your last breath, boom, absent from the body, present with the Lord, 2 Corinthians 5, 8. For those who refuse to come to Jesus Christ, never put their faith and trust in him. They go to a place called, and based on the version you have, it's the literal Greek word, Hades. It's the holding place. Every single person that dies and go to Hades, it's not a pleasant place. You can look at Luke 16 to back that up. And you'll be there until the end of that 1,000-year millennial kingdom when every single person without Jesus will be sent to the lake of fire, Revelation 21.8, which never is put out. You say, you're trying to scare me. No, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to tell you the truth. If it scares you, so be it. I'm not trying to. But that's the second death, eternal destiny in an awful place called the lake of fire or hell. But here's the answer. You ready? All right, here we go. Here's the good news. That was not good news, was it? Here's the good news. Jesus said, I got some good news for you. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father but by me. Folks, the reason we have Easter, the reason we talk about the crucifixion is because it all, all is the only possible way for you to go to heaven someday. And here it is. And this is one of our favorite verses here. Put yourself in here. This is the last set of verses. This is it. This is the punchline. And it's for you. Again, this could be your first time here. You might have been here many, many times. Might have grown up here. Here's God's word to you. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace, God's free, unmerited gift. I'm going to pop off camera for a second. I want to illustrate this one more time. Josh, come on up here, buddy. They always laugh. I think I'm going to do something horrible to you. I'm not. All right, this is my good buddy, Josh Steele, and uh, did a great job this morning, by the way, and all the folks that uh, took part. All right, I'm going to give him a gift. All right, does he deserve it? No. <laughs> but I'm going to give him a gift, and here's a gift for you, Josh. Take it. Come on, pull. Okay, go relax. I just gave him a free gift. Josh, how much you pay for it? Zero. Zero. Now, you do a ton of work around here, and I get that, and that's poor compensation. But that was a gift, right? It's a gift. All you do is reach out and take it. And the Bible says that heaven, the free gift of salvation, it's a grace. It's a free, unmerited gift. For by grace, God's free, unmerited gift, are you saved? Saved from what? Saved from hell. Saved from the uh, uh, penalty of your sin. You're saved through what? Faith. You see anything else after that? Did it say, well, if you're good and you help uh, help people and you give a lot of money and uh, you go take communion and uh, uh, you get baptized and you do all these, does it say that up there? It does not. 
The Bible says, for by grace, God's free and merited gift, you have been saved, saved from sin, saved from the penalty of sin through faith. And uh, it's as much as you can do. That's the next part of the phrase. And that not of who? You can't do it. You cannot earn heaven. Jesus can only give it to you. It is the gift of God, the gift of God, not of what? Your good works don't matter. Remember when I read Romans 3, 10 through 23? God looks at all of our good works and he says, doesn't matter to me because you see you're still all sinners. Pastor Rich, you're a sinner. You need Jesus. He's the only hope of heaven. For we are, now here's the thing. You say, well, when do good works come in? Does God actually want us as God's people to do good works? He does. But after you come to Jesus first. So he says, uh, 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 when you come to Christ, it's not of your works lest any person should boast. For we, now we're talking about people that have accepted that free gift. We Christians are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. After you come to Jesus, after you put your faith and trust in him, God does expect you to work for him. So if you're here this morning, you place your faith and trust in Christ, God does expect us to live for him. Why? Because he died for us and gave us that free gift. Isn't that wonderful? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, I pray now in this final moment that you do what only you can do. Lord, I pray for uh, those that are here this morning that have already placed their faith and trust in Christ. Father, as we've listened to the great music, as we've reviewed uh, uh, the final week of Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross, Father, would you help us to walk out of here more thrilled than ever that we know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. Father, help us to be busy about your work this week. Help us to be busy uh, 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 telling others during this wonderful week of Easter coming up, uh, the great news of what Jesus did in our lives, how you transformed us, how you gave us a new life, how you gave us the promise of heaven. Help us to be active telling folks and inviting even more folks this coming week to our Easter celebration. If you're here this morning, I asked a question earlier. If you died right now, do you know for sure if you died, you go to heaven? There's some people in this room right now that you say, listen, Brother Rich, I don't know if I died I would go to heaven. I just don't know that, but I'd sure love to. Well, you heard the gospel this morning. You heard what Jesus did for you. It's that simple. You can't earn it. It's nothing you can purchase. It's a free gift that God wants to give to you this very moment. If that's you this, this morning and you say, Brother Rich, I truly do want to go to heaven when I die. What do I need to do? Again, do you understand you're a sinner? You say, yes, I do. Do you understand that Jesus Christ came down from heaven, died on the cross for your sins, was buried, and three days later rose from the dead? Do you honestly believe that? Do you believe the Word of God as it's stated? You say, I truly do. Well, then all you've got to do is that final last step. God says, for by grace, his free gift, he wants to save you this morning. Would you reach out like Josh did to take that book, and would you receive God's free gift? You say, how do I do it? Just, just take it. It's there for your taking. God's free gift of eternal life is waiting for you this morning. Would you take it by faith? Right there we are. Just tell the Lord, oh, I'm by faith. I believe in Jesus. I believe he died for me, and I'm accepting that free gift this very moment by placing my faith and trust in what you did. Did you just do that? Did you just place your faith and trust in Jesus? That's wonderful. Well, let's tell the Lord what you just did in your heart. I'm going to say a little prayer just to uh, allow you to thank the Lord for what he's done in your heart this morning. 
Maybe you want to say something like this silently as we pray together. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I don't deserve to go to heaven. But I finally get it this morning that Jesus Christ paid the entire debt for my sin. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for his death, burial, and resurrection. And I do accept that free gift this morning of eternal life by placing my faith and trust in Jesus. Every head's bowed, every eye's closed, please, in this final moment. I'd like to pray for anyone this morning. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to do anything except one thing. I'd like you to raise your hand in just a moment. And I'd like to, I won't call you out, but I will pray for you. This morning, if you're here, you say, Brother Rich, yes, I'm accepting that free gift of eternal life by placing my faith and trust in Jesus. Would you slip your hand up nice and high? I'll call it out, and then you can put it down. God bless you. Thank you so much. Someone else this morning, thank you. Thank you, ma'am. You can put your hand down. Anyone else, I'm receiving that free gift of eternal life this morning. In the overflow, anyone this morning trusting Christ, putting your faith in him. Anyone else in the main part of the auditorium? I don't want to miss you. Anyone else? I'm trusting Jesus Christ as my Savior this morning. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for these two which have given their hearts to Jesus and accepted that free gift. Father, would you bless them? Would you help them to grow in their walk with you? And Father, help the rest of us to rejoice that uh, we know the Lord Jesus and are a child of the King. Thank you so much for this morning. We commit it all.